Red State DVD and Blu-ray pre-orders are available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Pre-order Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com. Smirch alert, smirch alert, motherfucker, smirch alert. Go to smodcast.com slash smerchandise to get your official Jay and Silent Bob iPhone 4 cases from Casemate. Choose from three different snoogerific designs. We got soft ones and hard ones. Hey, I'm talking about the cases, bitch. All emblazoned with your favorite Smodco icons, Jay and Silent Bob. Snag your iPhone 4 case for $39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash smerchandise yo Canada Jay and Silent Bob are gonna be royally mounting you December 7th in Vancouver December 8th Edmonton December 9th Calgary December 10th Saskatoon and December 11th Winnipeg their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com slash get old in Canada. Hey, Eldborg, Iceland. On November 11th, Kevin Smith will be inside you. Kev is bringing his famous Q&A to Eldborg Main Hall, talking movies, comics, sex, taking a shit, whatever you want to ask about. Hilarity will ensue. Kevin Smith, live at the Eldborg Main Hall in Eldborg, Iceland, on November 11th. Links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Yo, Philly, guess who's coming to the city of brotherly love? Hollywood motherfucking Babylon, bitch. Come get your celebrity news, rumors, and Liam Neeson's cock jokes at the World Cafe Live with Kevin and Ralph on Monday, October 17th. Top that steak sandwich with cheese whiz, showbiz, and comedy jizz. Mmm, tasty. Catch Hollywood Babylon at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia on October 17th. Tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Kevin Smith is bringing his big bucket of win Q&A show deep in the heart of Texas. September 27th at the Paramount Theater in Austin. Even better, they're going to be filming all you motherfuckers for a special presentation on Epics. Whether you want to know about Clerks, Red State, Hit Somebody, or Eating His Wife's Ass, don't miss Kevin Smith at the Paramount Theater in Austin on September 27th. Tickets on sale now at austintheater.org. Hey, Baston. Jay and Silent Bob are coming to raid your fridge, smoke your weed, and make you laugh hysterically while they do it. How do you like them apples? Friday, October 7th at the Wilbur Theater. Catch Jay and Silent Bob get old. Grab your tickets now by clicking on the link at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck.
Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Yo, Red Bank, New Jersey. Jay and Silent Bob are gonna snooch to your motherfucking nooch. I don't even know what that means. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater on October 8th. Special guest, tell them Steve Day. Get your tickets at CountBasieTheater.org. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater, October 8th in Red Bank. Word. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get CD-quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast. Where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live in New York. October 14th at the IGN Theater. Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com. Rhythmic equation. The sound of thought is in light. In light the magic light of tomorrow. Tomorrow backwards. Others of sadness, sadness. forward and onward. Others of gladness, and light front is my tomorrow. It has no planes of sorrow. Hereby, my invitation, I do invite you to be of my space. The song is sound of enlightenment. Space fire truth is enlightenment. Vibration, vibration, sent from the space was space of the cosmos. Starry dimension, enlightenment is my tomorrow. My tomorrow, it has no planes of sorrow. Of sorrow, hereby, my invitation, invitation, I do invite you to be of my space. My space, hereby, hereby. 
my invitation. I do invite you to your my space world. Hereby, my invitation. I do invite you to your my space world. Hello, everyone. It's Thursday. Um, what is it? Thursday, October 6th. And uh, I'm actually calling right now via Skype. I mean, literally, I just pushed the button because I want to try to uh, talk to Allison Kilkenny, who's been in New York. And she- Hello, Allison. Allison, can you hear me? Allison. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, dear. We're not getting connected here. Can you hear me? Hello. Hmm. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, we didn't test this. Oh, okay. Hold on. Oh, she just hung up again. Let me try again. Okay. We don't know what's going on. Oh, there we go. That's why. Okay. I'm going to try her again. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> Matt and I are getting used to doing a live podcast from my house and it's it's like I feel like we're you know part of the serious underground or something you know like we're we're hiding from the the uh the empire and uh we're having to do our radio show now out of a uh a back room somewhere Allison hello hey there can you hear me Yes. Oh, fabulous. I just, you know, it's one of those Skype things. I didn't have the right thing buttoned down, and of course, you couldn't hear me. But I got could... uh, No worries. <laughs> we're actually, we're walking to the park right now. Oh, cool. So, so I just wanted to, um, since you're on the street there, and you guys have been there uh, the last few weeks, and I know some shit went down last night, um, how are things going down there at Occupy Wall Street? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, the numbers are definitely growing. Uh, the first day that I saw the park, I wasn't really impressed. <laughs> I thought for sure the cops would raid the park and clear everybody out. Uh, but now it's, you know, a few hundred people sleeping there. And there are thousands coming out to join the protests. Um, so, you know, it's definitely growing. Um, every time I see on one of the marches, they become more and more diverse. Um, all ages, uh, all races all types of backgrounds. Mm. It's not just students, it's um, union reps, it's uh, teachers, nurses, uh, all types of professions. So I'm consistently, you know, impressed by it. You know, it's when, you know, being on the, I mean, there's, there's something going on here in LA and I haven't been down yet. I'm actually going to go down on Saturday, but um, just being a person who's kind of watching it through, uh, you know, the social media feeds and then now more and more through, um, mainstream media and certainly watching Keith Oberman the last few nights, it seems like there's a different feeling with this gathering than there has been in past gatherings, which might be labeled more progressive, you know, like the WTO stuff and stuff like that. I mean, what, what is, what is your take on that? Does it feel like a different kind of a, a movement or a, a, a protest? Yeah, it's strange. You know, it's kind of whole, that was inspired by hopelessness, hmm. if that makes sense. So the people I'm speaking with, they don't have jobs or they have a really tenuous grip on a job or they're buried in student loan debt. And it was that hopelessness that drove them to do this. You know, I spoke with people who were literally saying things like, I have nothing in my life. I, you know, I have no job. 
or the bank took my house. Mm. Um, I can't afford to send my children, uh, you know, to school. And this is the only source of recourse they have. Um, now, stemming from that hopelessness is hopefulness, <laughs> where because it's so it's so different. Um, it's pure a pure democratic movement, which um, you know the media really doesn't know how to deal with that. Uh, it doesn't adhere to a traditional hierarchy. There are no leaders. The leaderless movement. Um, but that makes it unique, and more importantly, it makes it very hard to crush or suppress. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly I've been thinking about that, that how this doesn't fit the mainstream me- uh, media's narrative about uh, uh, protesting, certainly, or, or people coming together. And and I think that's great, because I think that keeps the power in the hands of the people who are uh, trying to organize this stuff that it's that's you know that once the mainstream me- media gets a hold of a narrative they're going to shape the, the the talking points they're going to shape the arguments and then of course the opposition's really going to have fun shaping it so it's been kind of interesting to watch it be an like kind of a outside the narrative storyline it's it's really fascinating it's especially entertaining to see the corporate media try to explain it our way or misrepresent it so you have, you know, Aaron Burnett on CNN, Aaron Burnett, who, uh, in case your listeners maybe don't know, worked for Goldman Sachs, who now is a, a Citibank executive, um, just in the most snobbish, dismissive ways, describing, you know, these protesters as pot-smoking hippies in a drum circle, uh, and they're really terrified of it. Yeah. That's why they're speaking about it in these sort of, you know, disparaging ways. Where it's like, they knew if this spreads. Uh, there was another article that was just printed in the New York Times where a journalist said that he went down to the protest, not because he was curious, because he's a journalist, but a banking executive called him and said, hey, I'm really worried about this. Why don't you go check it out? Wow. So that's the state of our media right now. You know, there, <laughs> there are these little bootleggers, bootleggers for the... the the uh, corporations, and when their bosses call them up and say, we're a little uh, concerned that the unwashed masses are uh, getting sort of uppity, <laughs> they run down down there and <laughs> give their reports. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting because I, I tweeted today about it, just how I was thanking the Occupy Wall Street people just for, like, kind of reigniting my own passion and, dare I say, hope, I don't say that word lightly, but just about, you know, sure. that, that people are, you know, that there, that there possibly is a new way to have a dialogue about this and that people are recognizing that this is really, really broken. And, um, one thing that I'm really kind of fascinated by and, and interested in is that, you know, I think that the majority of the people who probably went to tea party rallies, and I'm not talking about the organizers or the Koch brothers or anything like that, but, the people who also are frustrated with the establishment in the system, I'm wondering when they're going to kind of take off their need to be, you know, in their own faction and and join these people on the street. Because I think mm-hmm. I think all these people have the, all of us have this same complaint that we all are the 99 percenters. Yeah, well, I think it's already starting to happen in some respects. Uh, I apologize, by the way, for being out of breath. We are, like, just hauling ass to the park right now. It's exciting Um, to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I've already interviewed people who describe themselves as Ron Paul supporters, which is, like, 
that's a Republican who's halfway there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they, they started to come around. They know that the system's broken. They may just have some daddy ideas about how to fix it, but they're on their way. Mm. Um, I really think it just takes somebody losing their job or losing their home. Yeah. Um, everybody that I have spoken with, with the exception of one person, almost universally say that the Republicans aren't doing anything for them, certainly, but neither are the Democrats. True. Now, it's a more of a mixed bag when it comes to do you support the president? A lot of people say, I don't like the Democrats support the president. Now, to me, what that says is, I support his rhetoric, which before he got elected, he said all the right things. <laughs> it's true. You know, uh, he really did. He presented himself as a populist. Yes. Populism? It, it's named that for a reason. Populism is popular, you know? <laughs> so I think some people are saying, I still support the president. What they mean is, I really liked his rhetoric about getting out of Iraq and changing Washington and holding these banks accountable. Everybody still likes those ideas. That yeah. has not changed. The only thing that changed was the fact that President Obama didn't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, he got he got uh, certainly immersed and enmeshed into the establishment uh, right away. And and uh, but you know too, and I want to say in his defense a little bit, the establishment is designed to do that. Yes, of course. It wasn't That's that why he it's... was particularly yes. weak willed or anything like that. Yes, anybody, no matter how ethical they are, no matter how wonderful their speeches are. If they're absorbed in the current system that we have right now that is so soaked with corporate cash, yep. it ruins them. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. So, um, Allison, what's the, do you know what the plan is tonight down there uh, at the park uh, where you're <laughs> heading towards? Well, can I uh, announce who you're performing with? Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we've been keeping this under wraps. But um, Talib Kweli is coming out, and he uh, is a... Very famous rapper, uh, and he'll be performing cool. with Jamie Kilstein, my radio partner, excellent comic. Um, <laughs> and husband, I do believe. <laughs> and husband, yes. That's fantastic. And, uh, so they're going to perform, hopefully together, which will be really cool. And then uh, I think there's just going to be the usual General Assembly business. Um, I know Naomi Klein earlier gave a speech that was very well received. Barbara Ehrenreich. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich is giving one this week. Um, So it's really cool, you know, like Liberty Park has sort of become, I'm saying this in every interview, the Studio 54 of 2011, where it's like you really never know who's going to be down there. Like the other day I was on Twitter and people were like, Mark Ruffalo is just hanging out here. I was like, what? (laughs) The actor? And then, That's weird. and then he ended up on Keith Olbermann and talking about his, his time down there. It was great. Dude, I have to say, Mark Ruffalo is a badass. That dude is on a terrorist watch list for showing a film about gas fracking. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Allison, you and Jamie uh, have a great evening, and thank you so much. And uh, thank you both for all the work you do and for, for being on the front lines and reporting and, uh, and having all that youthful energy. <laughs> oh, thank you, and thanks for having me on the show. Anytime, sweetie. You guys have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, that was Allison Kilkenny. Uh, she is a co-host of Citizen Radio with her husband partner, Jamie Kilstein, who's the comic, who's a fantastic comic, who has on, been on my show, actually. It was on a couple weeks ago. And uh, Allison also writes for The Nation and HuffPo and uh, 
she's a uh, boy. She's just a, they're both rabble rousers, you know, and it, it's funny because uh, there's, the, the, you know, just the energy they have to do this. They're also, you know, radical vegans and, you know, they're just into all that kind of stuff. And the thing I love about Jamie, he's like this radical vegan, but he's also obsessed with, um, the um like full cage ufc uh fighting you know which to me it's just such a strange thing but i love that it's it's complex humans and uh so i just i love them so much i mean and the funny thing is you know i don't always agree with everything that they they they're sometimes they're very radical and you know somewhat anarchist for me but um you know i'm kind of a middle-aged lady at this point and you know it's sometimes i mellow around the edges but uh you know, I just, I, I, I got so excited this week watching all this stuff and then watching Keith Oberman getting, you know, involved and, you know, and reading the declaration last night on his show and, um, and just like, you know, it's like, okay, something is happening here. I don't know what it is and I don't have any, I, any attachment to the future about it, but, um, something is going on and there's some momentum going on and people are doing something differently. One thing I love about what they're doing down there is that they, um, there's there is this leaderless cause going on and it's really confusing people and yet i um about 5 years ago uh, was certified as a life coach and started studying leadership seriously and and what is leadership and how to inspire leaders and how to teach leaders and 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 how to shape leaders and and help people who want to be leaders in the world and the people i studied with uh we talked a lot about this concept of co-creation and that it's not a top-down thing, that leadership doesn't mean it's the person at the top. Leadership is the person who knows what needs to be done in the moment. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm watching with this group. It's like they know instinctively what needs to be done in this moment for this culture. And then my understanding from the people who are down uh, at these camps, that's the way they're running these camps too. They have people, they have committees, they have, um, people who are leading the committees, but it's, it's a lot of consensual stuff. And yet it doesn't get bogged down like the old lefties where you get a bunch of old lefties in a room and everyone's got to, um, you know, uh, talk about their feelings <laughs> and process their childhood and, and make sure that their hyphenated, um, you know, a acronym of a type of person that they are is being acknowledged properly. Uh, these people are more pragmatic than that and they're getting shit done. And I really, really love that. So, um, I just, I just, I wanted to open my show with that today. Uh, we're going to play a little song here. And, uh, and then when we're back, uh, we're going to have our guest today, uh, David Feldman. See you in a bit. Fucking 
good cholesterol, which is bad. Where'd I leave my cell phone? That's the fourth one that I've had. The name of my hair dye shade. I have boxes I'll never use. And I'm telling you, the sad part is I buy the same wrong shade every time. These are the things that I just can't fucking remember. No, these are the things that I just, I just can't recall. What time does my plane get in? And did I tell my mom when my plane gets in? And did I already check in? And where did I put that paper with my confirmation number? And I don't have my confirmation number. I need my frequent flyer number. I mean, who the fuck knows their frequent flyer number? Do they care about my frequent flyer when they know my fucking number? I mean, how do they expect me to know my number when I can't even remember if I put in a tampon or not? Katie Goodman with uh, These Are the Things I Can't Fucking Remember. <laughs> uh, you can find her at katiegoodman.com and also Broad Comedy. I think she's actually going to be in LA next week. She's doing a, a benefit, I think, for Planned Parenthood. Uh, she also has another great song, which I play often on my show, which is um, I Didn't Fuck It Up, which is just one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so in my uh, back room here today, I have David Feldman. I'm just going to give a little intro here, and then Uh-oh. he and I, yeah, mm-hmm, I got an official little intro here, uh, and then he and I can get into it. Uh, so David Feldman is a, from what I understand, a three-time primetime Emmy award-winning comedy writer, written for people like The Dennis Miller Show, Real Time with Bill Maher. 
had his own Comedy Central special, which uh, I'm, I'm sorry, David, about that. That's yeah. um, has a weekly radio show on KPFK, uh, which is called the David Feldman. Is it called the David Feldman podcast? You know, I've always been we call it the David Feldman show, but I, it's very because of my self-loathing. It's very hard for me to say those words. I know that because it, well, here's the thing that I was listening to uh, your uh, couple of shows ago i guess or maybe you do in different segments go to itunes and subscribe to it because it's amazing it's he's got commentary he's got sketches he's got brilliant comedy people coming on but here's how david described himself the other day uh he said i'm a washed up middle-aged troublemaker who is still burning bridges even as i am driving over them I am an embittered comic who becomes political on stage so he can impugn the audience for being stupid instead of blaming himself for not being funny. Uh, David, actually, I, I know you, you well, thought... somebody listened to my show. I, I, yes, and I know you, you think you were coming here today to have a nice conversation with me in my back room, but actually, we're going to do an intervention in about 20 <laughs> minutes on you. <laughs> right. Your grandmother's flown in from heaven or hell. I don't know. You're <laughs> hell. Ju- you're, oh, hell, me, hell. Hell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you're Jewish. You don't even get heaven. You don't even get a heaven. Life is hell. Life we, is we hell. We don't believe in hell. We believe life is hell. <laughs> well, so, thank you for listening to my show. I, coming out of your mouth, that sounds different. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, uh, it's actually very funny when you say it. And you call yourself a failed comedian, which I, I don't know. Looking at your resume, honey, don't look too failed to me. Well, I I ended up having to become a writer because mm. the stand up just wasn't it, <laughs> I had my daughter was born and I wanted to be home yeah and I became as good a comic as I was going to become in 1994 right I I saw there I don't I, I saw this is as good as I'm going to be and I saw the limitations in terms of my bourgeois aspirations. I wanted to raise a family. So I still do stand-up. Yes, but- and, and I've seen your stand-up, and it's, um, it's lovely to watch because half the audience becomes afraid of you, <laughs> which is the part I love. <laughs> I wish it didn't have to be that way. I know, but it's it's good in a way because the other half of us who are getting what you are doing are really enjoying that the other half of the audience is now afraid of you. <laughs> yeah. I have a certain comfort level of falling backwards with nobody catching me. I just it's I think most comics do and I when I'm on stage and half the audience isn't getting me, I unfortunately relish that and well and and i have to say that you know if and half the audience isn't getting you because they're not smart enough to i will disagree with that oh really yes i think people are i think they're offended and i think people have a right to be offended okay i I, I honestly Uh, believe that agreed and i think they're offended because they don't get it they don't get what you're doing, which is you are, I mean, we were just talking a minute ago about being a contrarian. You are walking an edge that, um, is exposing everyone's hypocrisy to them. Right. And I would say some people, I will give you that some people are too ill-informed to understand satire, but ultimately it's the responsibility of the performer to, make sure everybody in the room is 
understands what you're up to. And I think I get that. Yeah. And I think most people are just offended. Yeah. I, because I think not most, but the, the people who dislike me and yeah. complain yeah. are genuinely offended. They'll say, I understand that you're being ira- ironic or it's satire, but the sentiment is mm. you're pro-choice. Right. Or you're against the war. Right. And that I find that offensive. Oh, okay. By the way, I don't know if you saw the Pew study today, but two-thirds of soldiers who joined the armed services after 9-11, mm-hmm. two-thirds of them say the war in Afghanistan and Iraq was a complete waste. Wow. Two-thirds of our soldiers do not support the troops. Wow. They, they're against our actions, and how dare they? Wow. Su- anyway. <laughs> Why did you mention that just now? Why'd because you I find that really infuriating that when I was, when the war started and you were against the war. Oh, yeah. We were traitors. Saying, we were traitors. You're a traitor yeah. and you don't support the troops. Yeah. And so now if you're actually supporting the troops, now being against the war, you're actually supporting the troops, right. the majority of the troops. And the majority of the troops are against the war and yet they somehow figure out a way to demonize, was it Cindy Sheen? The yeah, Sheen, yeah. 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 Um, so, so going back to the, to the, the stand-up thing, um, so, and, and I get that about, that it is the performer's responsibility to bring all of the audience along. And, and like, and I guess people, I mean, I think about my dad, I guess my dad had the advantage of people knew going in right. who he was and what right. he was going to be doing and his stance on things. So they right. signed up for it. And they knew, I, I'm not discounting your, I don't mean to you know, he was the best stand-up who ever did it, and everybody knows that. That's a fact. And the audience so. knew that going into it, and they were willing to see a master play with their y- psyche. Y- absolutely. Right. Yeah, they did. They signed up for like him masse- to challenge them. It was and a masseuse who got into, is it rolfing? Yes, rolfing. He was a rolfer. <laughs> and, uh, and the, uh, you know, and, and it was very, it, very hard to do that. It, yeah. Almost impossible if you don't break through into the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I. I can't. mean, Kilston, you had Allison's husband. Yeah, uh, Jamie Kilston's wife on. It's. I've worked with him. It's very hard. Yeah. for him because yeah. he hasn't gotten that stamp of approval from Johnny. Right, he's got to bring. Right, he's he's got to bring the audience along. It's interesting. His new CD, which is brilliant, which of course I don't know the name of because I don't know the name of anything, but um, uh, he uh. Oh, what's it called? Oh, well, it'll come to me. You know uh, what? It's like it's there's this great story, and I'm sure uh, you've heard this from countless people, but it affected me and it affected my mother. There, uh, John Stewart interviewed your dad up in Aspen. Yes, great you, interview. And you know the story about the nun explaining to your grandmother. Yes, yes, about um, the the language. That. It's just an amazing story. Yeah. And I'm sure, is that something that's resonated over the years? Do people walk up to you and always mention that story? Um, I think so. I mean, I mean, people who know that my dad's like, you know, people who read the memoir and know the mm-hmm. stuff like that. Y- yes. Um, I think it's, I love that story because it just undoes everything we think we know about the war universe. <laughs> right. And, but that was kind of like the mainstream media. Yeah giving uh, there was a nun who explained to your grandmother that 
Yeah, and George she, has to curse. And, right, and but she was one of his teachers. Now, my dad went to this small school on West 121st Street where he grew up called Corpus Christi. It's it's a parish. And by the way, uh, well, we'll get into that later. They should name the we're, street after We're trying to George rename Carlin. it right now, actually. And Kevin Bartini is, is doing uh, important work in New York. And so there'll be more information about that later, about us working on getting that done. So one of the nuns, so it was an experimental school when my dad went there in the 40s elementary school where they actually moved the desks around and stuff because Teachers College was right across the street. So they were doing all sorts of interesting things in the neighborhood and with different local schools. So this this school was really different. And, uh, you know, a lot of the nuns got my dad, you know, they they had kicked him out because he was a hooligan. And then uh, he asked to be let back in so he could graduate eighth grade with his class. And they said, the only way you can do it is if you write the Christmas play. And he did, did a great job. So this nun, years later, my, my father played Carnegie Hall for the first time. This was uh, summer of 72. Uh, yes, you'll be able to hear that story in my live show, A Carlin Home Companion. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so my grandmother comes, and of course, she's just, you know, Carnegie Hall. Her son has made it to Carnegie Hall after practice, practice, practicing. <laughs> and uh, and of course, it's got the seven dirty words in it, and, and, and Mary Beery Carlin was just uh, beside herself with horror in it. And uh, so saw one of the nuns uh, a couple weeks later, and I believe the nun must have had heard the album Class Clown or FMAM or something like that. And Mary uh, saw the nun and she said, oh, you know, the nun's like, oh, we're so proud of George. We're so proud of where he's gone and where what he's done with himself. And Mary's like, oh, sister, but the language, <laughs> the language. And the sister was like, oh, no. Don't you see what he's doing with the language? He's actually creating conversation about the language that, that, that language is, is all contextualized and that it's all arbitrary and that it's just language and they're just words. And, and the sister <laughs> proceeded to basically make my dad's argument to his mother. And so, but it was coming from a nun. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it was okie dokie. You know, my two things. My mother gave me class clown as a kid. Okay. Uh, that's a cool mom. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? I guess I was. 10 and that's I very me cool. you know no 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 she gave me occupation fool okay i apologize okay she gave me occupation fool and both my parents have never discouraged me from doing stand-up uh-huh no matter how bad it got or gets <laughs> they and my father on his deathbed said to me uh don't give up stand-up mm. it's the only thing they can't take they can't take this away from you it's true uh, so yeah, occupation fool. That which was the other thing is my wife uh, is Irish Catholic, and Aunt Catherine, who passed away this year, was a nun in, mm. I believe, Corpus Christi, Texas. Oh, that's great! <laughs> and she met. I took when John Stewart did the Dennis Miller show. She hung out with John. He could not have been nicer. Mm. And I said to Aunt Catherine. I have to warn you, the language, it's HBO. And Catherine spent 40 years working in, in a prison in Texas. Oh, hello. Uh, I think it was like a level four, like, you know, death row. Wow. Not, not, not like a, not like Sister Prejean. Right. She said, there's nothing you can tell me <laughs> that I haven't already heard. I think the Catholic Church, I don't want to go down that road. I think there are four, uh, people have, are going to disagree with me, but I think they're a force of progressive thought in the world. They certainly can be. That they're against capital punishment. Yep. The current pope is again has come out against the war in Iraq. Yep. And the 
previous pope was against the war in Iraq, and that they, not being Catholic, I do suspect that a lot of these molestation charges, mm. some of them may not be as true as some people want them to be. You know, nobody ever talks about the McMartin preschool. Yeah. <laughs> the hysteria. <laughs> nobody even knows about the yeah, McMartin preschool. Yeah, it was a local story here in LA. Right here, there was a, a, a preschool where... I think it was two two people two teachers were accused of molest, molesting these kids and it was completely false right but and 400 it, yeah, kids right. said i was molested yeah. and they had and, and it does happen absolutely and, and uh, you know and, and and agreed and yet you know when my mom went to visit the vatican my parents went to rome on vacation and my mom went to the vatican and she went to all you know inside the vatican and she said to me later God does not live in that house. I mean, it was just so ostentatious. There was so much money poured into all of that to the edification of this power. Um, but, but I, I agree with you on the point that, you know, I, I think <clears throat> there have been very progressive Catholics who were, who march for civil rights, mm -hmm. who, I mean, hello, and, um, who feed the poor. I mean, who, who do a lot of, you know, interfaith work. There's, there's that, there's, there's kind of the, the boots on the ground. Catholic Church, right. you know. Sandals on the ground. Sandals on the ground. <laughs> yes. You know what I think? Sensible shoes on the ground. The thing with Melissa, I, my father used to tell me there's nothing wrong with saying F you to your rabbi. <laughs> but there's, that, 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 the rabbis are just treated as teachers. They're, yes, and that's what the word means. Yeah, yes. they're not like, they're not. They're not conduits to God. It, unless you get into the higher ups, the Orthodox, the Lubavitchers, mm -hmm. and that's where the molestation happens. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. Well, but then, see, that's where, for me, I mean, being a Jungian psychologist, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me because the more you closet off those aspects of yourself that you feel are unholy and you put them in the basement of your psyche, the more likely they're going to come out in some really, really... Uh, dangerous ways. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, every time a Republican senator who's a good Christian is once again is, is hired a gay hooker, I just think to myself, well, that's exactly what happens because you deny, you know, parts of yourself and it always comes to bite you in the ass. Hmm. No doubt. No doubt. So that's my overall theory about good and evil and all that kind of stuff, you know, is that uh, you pretend to be holier than... Um, it will show up somewhere that you were actually the lowest of the low, most likely, because you're you're not you're not you're not accepting your normal human urges. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that priests are um, and nuns have to be celibate. I mean, there's the only point to it was was that at one point the popes were giving away all their land to their kids. I mean, you know, if if you watch the Borgias or whatever it was on the HBO, you'll get your history, kids. Uh, and, and that they decided to stop doing that. So they made it. You you can't have kids anymore. You can't marry. You you can't have sex. You think the popes were not having sex? Please. You know, uh, you know, maybe they do in this century now not have sex. But, um, you know, it's 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 all about accumulating power and wealth for them. Yes. Had nothing to do with being more godly, right? They were taking property and then getting married. They were taking stealing property from the church. They didn't want the priests to have kids. Yeah, and they didn't want the popes to be able to have their kids. You know, well, they are having kids now <laughs> in the wrong way. No, but it's also I, I do understand. I'm not defending molestation or celibacy, <laughs> although God knows I've had my share of it. Uh, that the other thing is though, you confide in people of the cloth, mm -hmm. and they could take advantage of you. 
I don't think it's a hundred or it was an easy sell. Mm-hmm. Celibacy was an easy sell because you could say, well, these guys, you're confiding, you're confessing to, to these people and these guys could easily, you know, I just watched this documentary on Vidal Sassoon. Have you seen this? No. Oh, watch it. It's, it's fantastic. Do you know anything about him? I do a little bit. Yeah, actually. Well, you know, hairdressers are father confessors. Yeah. Oh, oh, true. Absolutely. And everybody thinks they're gay and they're not. And he had to say to his hairdressers because they were, you know, mincing around on the floor in their tight right. pants. <laughs> it was lunch. the 80s. And everybody thought, well, these guys are all queens. And meanwhile, they were nailing everybody's wife. And <laughs> Al had to call them all in and say, cut their hair, listen to their problems, it's, do not bed them. It was the real shampoo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> that, absolutely. That's so funny. Wow. So I, I want to get back to what we were talking about before about, so, you know, you said in 94, you, you felt like you had hit this place where you had become the best stand up you were going to be. Um, and, and you know what, I, you know, being a kid or willing to be or willing to be, because I think this is an interesting point because I, um, you know, growing up with a dad who was very driven and changing all the time and very ambitious um, and was, I mean, well, he, you know, and I don't, I'm not saying he was Picasso, but I, I look at people like, it. like Picasso, like Einstein, people who were like put on the planet to do one thing. And I really feel that about my dad and he got married and he, he had me and family life, you know, definitely was difficult because he was on the road a lot. And then of course the, you know, the, the sixties, the cultural revolution happened and he became the God of one of the gods of the cultural revolution. And, and that, you know, that the chemicals of that time definitely screwed up the family. But I think it's really commendable that you knew that you had this choice and that you decided raising a family was as important to you as, as your art. Another thing I should mention because of your dad, uh, I'm an alcohol, not because of your dad, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Well, I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I started doing stand-up as one of the ways to give up the vast amounts of alcohol and pot, which for me was a huge problem. And I weaned myself from drugs by doing stand-up. It took about six years. I, I've been sober since 88. Wait, you weaned yourself from doing drugs by doing stand-up? Yeah. Whereas other people have come to do stand-up and they've been killed by drugs. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. And there was an article your dad gave in Playboy. Yeah, it was a big article for him. I think it was. It must have been eighty-two. It, it was. He was. He was trying to reconstruct his career, resurrect his career at that point. What yeah. year was the interview? It, it would have to be like eighty, eighty-one, eighty-two, right. right around there. Absolutely. Right when I was starting out, and he said, "Your dad said, George Carlin said that he would." have a drink before he went on stage. There was something about, I don't remember what he said. I remember reading the Playboy interview, then uh, getting the tissue, <laughs> cleaning up the... No. Uh, <laughs> you were only supposed to be reading the articles. I was. Oh, I used oh, to that's masturbate right. to the articles. Oh, that's right. That's right. That, that's typical David Feldman behavior so, right there, people. <laughs> uh, but but from that interview, I don't remember what exactly he said. I made a promise to myself because of your dad's mm -hmm. wrestling with the yes. chemicals. Yes. That I will drink and smoke and do my drugs 
once I get off stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was able, so that during the day, yeah, it wasn't stoned again. Remember, uh, stoned yeah, again? I was like at then afterwards. So I would wake up at five o'clock, go do a show <laughs> at eight, and but still, I it, it my work ethic. Yes, uh, it his, your, your dad informed my work. Yeah, that's ethic. interesting. You know, it's it's um, funny because up until that point, I mean, I watch some of the stuff he did before that point, and not too much afterwards but definitely during the 70s if you watch the first saturday night live that he hosted he's so fucking coked up holy shit and and also like the very very first hbo that he did i think it was at usc you can just see his cotton mouth i, I mean i can see it like that you know i used to be able to read my parents and their drug intake um i do not know how people go on stage stoned or drunk i i i'm a control freak and i like to know what's going on at all times and and i get the kind of the looseness that it gives you um but boy i i don't know i i like to be steering the ship you know and it's, i find that fascinating that i mean i watched that um bill hicks documentary have you seen that too painful oh can't i have to God, i know i have David, to watch so it be- it just it well here here's the thing is i didn't i certainly didn't know bill uh, personally, and I didn't really—I knew his name, and I probably had seen a couple of things, but I didn't know him. I'd never seen one of his specials or anything, so for me, it was an introduction to him. And to watch um, this very candid, uh, you know, uh, documentation of him being on stage and drinking, and it becoming part of his persona and all of that, and then him getting away from that, you know, and having to reconstruct his relationship with comedy and with comedians and going to these clubs and not drinking. I mean, it was fascinating. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I, it's so, it's just, it's just, I don't know the whole drug alcohol art thing. You know, it works for some people (laughs) and, and yet for others, uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong struggle. I mean, you know, it's, uh, Greg Giraldo. I mean, people like that. I mean, just uh, yeah. so sad. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Did you know Bill? I knew Bill not closely, but I was amazed by how supportive he was. Mm. And he came into my life when I was really ambitious and trying to make it. And I was always shocked at how supportive he was of uh, mm-hmm. he was enlightened he was at this other yeah level of it being able to enjoy other comedians yeah while i was yeah trying to you know <laughs> everybody's my I, I never said everybody's my enemy but being competitive yeah which is not really good are you th- are you past the competitiveness can you sit there and be happy for another yes. comedian when they're on stage, uh, on stage? Uh, are you still got a little bit of the envy thing i have um, I wish I could say, because my wife has taught me that the universe is ever expanding and there's room for everybody. Yes. And I do say this, I don't watch stand-up comedy. Yeah. And I, and I always say I've developed an act that I don't have to worry about anybody stealing, so I don't have to watch the middle act or the opening act right. to worry that they're doing any of my premises. <laughs> right. That's all glib and facile, but I, I suspect, honestly, it's a little difficult for me to completely surrender 
to the universe and enjoy another comedian's and, success. And, and what do you imagine might happen if you were to completely surrender to that mindset? Uh, I, I mean, I'm capable of doing it. Yeah. But, but like, what are you, what's, what are you guarding against? Like what, what's the, what's the, well, I better keep my foot in the other side there just to make sure that. Well, being taught or raised that one person's success is your failure. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, obviously I fight that. I, I'm. It's a tough mindset to get over. Right. And, and I'm bored with conventional standup. Absolutely. So when I see, so okay, so once I've accepted the fact that uh, I enjoy, I rather see somebody. Well, we all rather see somebody bomb. There's no. I mean, that's a fact. I mean, and not for Schadenfreude. It's funnier to watch a comedian bomb because that's when he's earning his money, and that's when that's. His, and they're actually learning something in that moment too. Yeah, it's a profound it, learning moment. And it's cards on the table. It's yeah. What, what are you made of? The yeah. audience hates you. Yeah. You still have another thirty minutes to go. Can you get out? It's like it's it's Houdini. Can you get out of the straitjacket? So there's nothing more enjoyable than watching a comedian bomb. And I've gotten most of my jobs as a comedy writer because people enjoy watching me bomb. But. <laughs> Uh, I mean, bombing, and to me, bombing is more important than killing because bombing reveals who you are. Yeah. And it's death and resurrection. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's, you're, you, the, you know, more people are afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. So to see a comedian up there mm. dying while speaking publicly, yes. you are, and then being able to bring the audience back, there is a mini Easter uh, story. Absolutely. Going on. Resurrection. But, uh, I heard a laugh and I don't know what that was. <laughs> but um I I am bored with conventional st- I, I don't like seeing an audience laughing at somebody who is not pushing the art forward. Me too. Yeah. And I it can't does do it. Ma- and, and then you go, well, you know, you're making it you're part of the problem. Yeah, it's it's just more distraction, I feel. Yeah. It's just you might as well be watching, you know, uh, Housewives of New Jersey or something like that. It's, right. it's the same level of entertainment. Absolutely. And I also don't like comics who practice what Lee Atwater used to call dog water, uh, dog water, dog whistle politics. Hmm, what's that? Dog whistle politics is, uh, I'm not going to say the N word. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about busing or welfare but you uh, know what i'm talking right about. right can, it's like bill o'reilly yes i'm being reasonable him, here right him saying urban yeah when my dad was on a show he kept saying urban and he kept saying bill you mean the ghetto yeah <laughs> say it like it is buddy so yeah. i see certain comics presenting themselves as reasonable right and yes and like people always assume i'm i'm a misogynist right because I hate women. But which that's, is, it's, that's, no, but, it's uh, just, which is just so, here's, the, this is the thing about you, David, is that I first met you via Facebook. You and Paul Provenza are friends. That's and, right. This is a Facebook friendship. And, be, yes. and you and, you would be commenting on Paul's stuff and I would think, I would be cringing half the time thinking, oh, I can't believe he's actually <laughs> writing that. And because you would talk about your t- people hitting on your 12 year old daughter and it was just, I mean, it was just, it was such great, squirmy stuff for me which i love and then you began encouraging me we this is like this is an interesting thing because it's a, a genuine friendship that began absolutely through social networking uh, completely com- completely and yeah. and i and i and i and what i loved about it was that uh, 
any anyone reading just reading the words on the page would think you were racist, misogynist. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, you name it is, <laughs> is and you were it, the ist. And 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 I was thinking, but that's what I love about you because you completely turn the tables on us and make us squirm in our own political correctness, in our own positions, in our own corners, and say, you know, you've put yourself in a corner no matter who you are. And, and, and I, I, I think that's... Well, I got, well, thank you. I, I got the, uh, in arguing politics with right-wingers, they would all, the, the fallback position for them is always, you hate America. <laughs> right. So I would say, okay, I hate America. Okay. Now what? Premise is done. Premise, I hate this country. Right. I hate America. Uh, now, now let's talk about the uh, 25% of American children who have food insecurity in this country. Right. Which, by the way, means hunger. This, hunger. Is, this is another euphemism that my dad would have yeah. completely written. It would be on his list right now. Food right. insecurity. Right. It's called hunger people. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's great. And, 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 and it's so, uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's something about your use of the language and the use of, the talking points against people, uh, against you know, in their own way. I, I can't even. I can't. Well, even yeah. I mean, it. right now with Occupy Wall Street, I'm obsessed with Frank Luntz. Okay, who, who's Frank Luntz? I know the uh, name. Doctor Frank Luntz is the Doctor Joseph Goebbels of American politics. He is nice guy. I'm guessing. Well, he is the one who <laughs> came up with. Don't he? He he worked for Newt Gingrich mm. and. He takes, he's a doctor, I think it's in linguistics, and what he does is he teach pol he teaches oh. politicians how not to say what they mean. Yes. So don't call it the estate tax, call it the death, death tax. Death tax, right. Don't right. call it- He's one of the ones shaping the narrative that has been shaping the narrative. Right, and he makes, and he has a horrible toupee. <laughs> the worst toupee. Good, I'm glad. So only the Republicans could be stupid enough to learn- <laughs> how to camouflage their intent <laughs> from a guy who can't even hide his, his bald spot. I hate Frank Luntz, and I know him, and he is he does what Dr. Joseph Goebbels does. And to, wow. In fact, I, I, we're going after him on my show tomorrow. We're interviewing his toupee. Chris <laughs> Pena plays his toupee. Nice. And Chris is a genius. Chris, Paul Dooley interviews Frank Luntz's toupee, and... <laughs> Chris Pena decided to play him like Terry Thomas. <laughs> I'm picturing the slip between his teeth. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's brilliant. And I believe in attacking these people personally, like like uh, Chris Christie, yes. the governor of New Jersey. Yes, we make fat jokes about him. Yes, if you're a Republican and you're a closeted gay, I think you should be attacked every day. Chris Christie. I've gotten complaints about you're making fun of the way he looks. I go, this is a 500-pound, morbidly obese governor who's telling people to live, to tighten their belts, to tell people he's he's, you know, he's anti-union, and and he's right. telling people you know personal responsibility. And he's eating at the trough. And he's eating at the physically. trough physically. And let's see him. Mm. Let's see Chris Christie live. On food stamps, $5 a day. That's yeah. what food stamps are. Let's wow. see this morbidly obese pig, Chris Christie, live on $5 a day. He couldn't. 
And then he says, well, I because ha- he's talked about his weight problems. And he says, well, you know, I was born a certain way. You know, guess what? You, A lot of people were born a certain way. A lot of people were born not to want to work 15 hours a day. Right. So they don't end up on food stamps. Right, right. And if you're working for Walmart, you work 15 hours a day and you still need food stamps. Now, now, this is an interesting point. A, I, first of all, I love that you're being completely politically incorrect and you're doing this on KPFK, which is like the most lefty right. radio station in LA, which is beyond, you know, I can only imagine what their board meetings are like. I, <laughs> I I'm of the Al Franken school. <laughs> I've studied, I've met Al a couple of times. He's now a U.S. Senator. Yes. And I've gotten advice from Robert Smigel, who worked at mm-hmm. SNL for 25 years. Love him. On how, yeah. And he's on tomorrow's show, by the way. He oh, plays fantastic. Donald Trump. Nice. But how do you handle the politically correct police when y- you're on their side? Yeah, exactly. Well, see, and this is what I, this is what I wanted to talk about. This is great because, you know, I think that you, you kind of look at the evolution of this thought, right? That um, you had the... Uh, by the way, this is my body language. Yes. This is, I have... He's relaxed. No, no. no. But I've been told by my shrink when, when I do this, yes. it's saying that I'm being... But I, I'm stretching. I have some kind of uh, carpal tunnel. I, I don't I don't feel you being closed okay. off at all. So he's got his arms crossed for Radio Land people. So my evolution of thinking about this is that... Um, Yes, we we needed the uh, political correctness, whatever you want to call it. it, wasn't called that originally, but we needed diversity, the language of diversity to to come into our culture because there was no language of diversity because there was people were ignoring diversity right. before. And of course, with everything and anything, it all goes to an extreme and gets absurd, which is it certainly did. I myself was at UCLA in 9192 did a symposium about political correctness on campus, I, you know, just because I was a communications major and just I'm fascinated with all of that. And then, of course, it turns into doublespeak. I mean, it just, you know, the right and the left has their have their own version of this. And 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 so and then it, everything becomes entrenched. So then the left becomes entrenched and everything, you know, everyone has to have 25 hyphenates in order to describe who they are. Maybe just call them by their name would be nice. And then, of or course, an American or an American. Thank you. And then uh, the right, of course, has their version of it, which is, you know, this isn't you're stomping on my freedom and I can think and say what I want and all that kind of stuff, which is they're both right. And I really feel like this is kind of what this this uh, Occupy Wall Street thing is interesting to me, too, is that there is now something that in, that embraces all of that and transcends it at the same time, that you can be politically incorrect and be an uber lefty. And you can be uh, uh, c- completely, you know, right wing and 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 have compassion. I've actually talked to those mm-hmm. people. <laughs> you know, it's like we're not in these separate camps. But I, I'm. I, but I. But what I am interested in is that as a practicing Buddhist and someone who's been studying that kind of thinking um, for over ten years now, part of what we do in that place is. Um, you try to hold the tension of the opposites, try to hold all of it at the same time and, 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 and try to, to create dialogue in the middle. And I'm, and I'm wondering if by personally, and I don't have an answer to this, I'm just as a conversation, by personally attacking, um, Chris Christie, let's say, or something like that, um, are we making real dialogue harder? Are we yes. playing? Yes, we are. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, that's fair. And we're probably, but here's the thing. See, I worked for Dennis Miller for 10 years and he is, 
somebody who I love, however, he's a fascist. Yes. And so I can't deal with him anymore. But I he gave me insight into that Fox News right-wing uh, mindset. And it is, you're a liberal, you're a feat. <laughs> right. You will never sink to the level I will. This is where I'm coming from. This is the abuse of 10 years of Dennis Miller, wow. being around Dennis Miller <clears throat> and working for him and being afraid of him and being in awe of him mm. because he is brilliant. Mm-hmm. He never expected liberals to attack him in the gutter the way he... The way the right will the attack the liberals will. in the gutter. And yeah. I, made a, I made a promise to myself after I left him mm-hmm. and saw Ariana Huffington go into the gutter with him. And really, he was just... He, nobody had ever sunk that low because Dennis will do ad hominem attacks right. and sees nothing wrong with it. And I've decided, and maybe I should stop doing it, but I've decided to attack the right the way Dennis attacks the left. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go after their, the way they look, if it, if it belies the hypocrisy of their politics and their personal lives. Right. Because right right now I really find it, you know, the fact that Bill O'Reilly, paid off the cops because his wife was allegedly sleeping with a Long Island oh detective. God, it's, it's, That's important. If is. you're preaching family values, I, I want to know what you're doing with the loofah. I absolutely agree. Absolutely so agree. I can't stop. I, I, I know it pushes. Excuse me. I yeah. think the Tea Party should come in to occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. They're going to divide us. Mm-hmm. That's what Wall Street is figuring out to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I went to Columbia where your dad, right? You're right around the corner from where dad grew up. Absolutely. I came for the revolution. I stayed for the education. And I came after the revolution. There was a, our president at Columbia. There, there were riots in 68 all the way through 72. Mm-hmm. And I came years later to Columbia looking for that. And mm-hmm. what President McGill, who took over Columbia after it had been taken over by the students, he said, this is what I'm going to do, kids. You're united. Mm-hmm. We're going to create a black club, a Jewish club, a gay club. Right. He said he was going to do that. So by the time so I got to college, yeah. there was no monolithic no. youth. So it's fascinating. So this, so even this left push for diversity has actually atomized the culture. What it, does atomized mean? Like split them off? Yeah, like because Absolutely. instead of the, the the molecules sticking together, we've become atomized. I say That's this is what I've been saying on the radio show. I don't care if you're Jewish or Catholic or black or gay. Right. You are poor. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. all that matters. Yeah. And, and and when they so the thing that really pisses me off about somebody like Jane Lynch hosting the Emmys for Mark Burnett, Mark Burnett, who is this executive producer who created Survivor, and he's crushing right. all the unions. Right. Oh, these people, oh, so these cameramen out there. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mark Burnett has destroyed television, and he's an illegal alien from England. <laughs> I don't know if he's an illegal alien, but. That's my my take on it. No Mexican ever took work away from me. Mark Burnett. Is, so 
I'm watching the Emmys. I know who Mark Burnett is. I right. know the, the the complaints. How reality TV has completely ruined this town. How he works people 16 hours a day. Yes. Has fought the unions. But look what I did, folks. Yeah. There's Jane Lynch. Our, look how look how far we've come as a country where we have an openly lesbian right. uh, hosting the Emmys. Yeah, that's great. Yes. But she's being used. Yeah. She's being used. And, and yet, you know... It's so tough because she is being used and yet she could say she's using him also because she's able to get her agenda out there um, on the backs of, you know, this kind of mainstream Hollywood uh, award show. You know, I mean, in some ways, uh, aren't we all, um, you know, the minute we step outside our homes or even <laughs> just wake up in the morning, aren't we all using each other on some level? Well, I think if we could galvanize the 99% yeah. and say, you're not a lesbian. Right. You are, you have a mortgage that's underwater. Yes. Class warfare. Yeah. Let's fight some class warfare. Yeah. And according to Ann Coulter, then, we're just, um, we're, we're like the, the, the mob of the French Revolution. <laughs> Did you see John Stewart last night? No. She, she, she went on about this. She was like, oh, this is the mob of the French Revolution. And these are the, uh, you know, the, the, the Russian Revolution. She goes all the way through. And, and, and if you really read between the lines, you know, this is, this is the people, uh, you know, bef- you know, the, the Nazis also. And so John Stewart's like, yeah, so we're a rabble rousing mob that's highly organized <laughs> right good for him yeah I totally he totally I, uh, but but yeah I, and the thing is about this you know this is once again them getting to set the narrative they call it this thing class warfare which is supposed to shut us up because god forbid we don't do that um well what the fuck have they been doing to us the 99 percenters for the last 100 years and especially the last 50 years i mean since you know I, well i would say certainly since the 60s you know when when the rand corporation right wing i'm reading john dean's memoir right now blind ambitions he's going to be my guest in 3 weeks great oh my god and i'm really learning about the internal mindset of people in power and and how i you know and there was a great harper's uh, article about this probably seven years ago about how in the 60s the right wing got it they got how they were going to build power the powell letter yes yes exactly and um and basically that is class warfare i mean they've been it's all about have been accumulating wealth for them and accumulating power and you know as long as we can you know and and, and i don't believe in five guys sitting around a table in a room somewhere i'm not into the whole illuminati I agree. <laughs> conspiracy theory thing. It drives me crazy. But like my dad used to say, if you, if you get, if you get to create the system, you get to create a system that is in your favor. There doesn't have to be a conspiracy. You just have to have, be in the power, the one to, who's making the decisions to, to create the laws and the policies. And, um, and, uh, so class warfare has, has been going on. I think we need to throw it right back in their faces Absolutely. and say, well, we're just standing up finally for what you've been doing to us. No. Because I know, I mean, everyone assumes I'm George Carlin's daughter and I'm a millionaire and all that stuff. Well, that's not true. And my husband, he's a cameraman here in Hollywood and we've been together almost 20 years. In 20 years, his rate, his day rate has never gone up. And actually now because of uh, the technology and because there's so many people flooding them, OJ Simpson trial ruined this town for cameramen. Everybody in the world came with a camcorder and said, I can be a cameraman. So for 20 years, my husband's day rate. So there was rate, something bad about 
killing Nicole. It was that finally. Yeah. yeah. The only I couldn't figure out. What... I see. I'm revealing it to big secrets are okay. going on here. Yeah. And but for 20 years, my husband's rate has not changed. And yet the cost of living in this town or anywhere, but especially in an urban area like L.A. has gone. I mean, I, can't, I don't even know the percentages. So I, I get that. I mean, we are true middle class people here who are feeling the pinch. And there's shame associated with feeling the pinch. Yeah. Oh, well, completely. That's why they've been able to get away with it for so long, because nobody, especially in Hollywood, nobody wants to admit that no. they're struggling. No. Act as if. Absolutely. The other you know? thing, you know, my wife said something really interesting that the people like Bill O'Reilly or the guys on Wall Street sipping champagne and looking down at the filthy masses. They, it's it's not money and class, it's values. Yes. That my wife is a teacher. Mm. She works longer hours and harder than a guy who's trading bonds on Wall Street. Absolutely, yep. In fact, she's of more value to our culture than a guy who's trading paper. Absolutely. Her hours will have larger impact on the on the society as a whole than some guy who's going to accumulate another million dollars right. on his bank account. So it's it's a question of values. Yeah. But they look at somebody who is struggling and they say, well, why don't you work harder? Well, I am working harder. Right. Oh, but then they'll use that. They'll use that person to kind of, you know, well, this is what America's really about, you know, working hard and pulling up your bootstraps and look at the farmer and look at the fireman and everything. They're not interested in these people really, except as a symbol. Right. You know? Absolutely. And they do. And there are no farmers left. It's no, all big. It's all agri. Agri- yeah. It's all a lie. It's all mythology. And as long as the American people continue to get as stupid as they are now and they're getting dumber the mythology lives yeah and and it's interesting i mean i think that's why they need to wake up from the american dream i i do believe they need to do that yes david (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and you know and and it's interesting because i mean one of the reasons i named this show that you know it's not i don't sit around talking politics all the time and I'm, i'm i'm not a big politics. I mean, I pay attention and stuff, but, but I too, I mean, you know, my dad was this and, and, and even more so now that he's dead, he's seen as a freaking God and a prophet, which drives me crazy and would drive him fucking bonkers. But, you know, he's got this, this rant about the owners of America and it's all over Facebook. It's all over Twitter right now. And even Occupy Wall Street are using it and everything. And that's great because, you know, part of what my dad said too, is, you know, as long as we're all asleep, you know, they're going to keep getting away with this, you know, wait till a real depression comes and people will be on the streets. And I think that and I think that's what's going on. But, you know, my own struggle is, is that I grew up pretty much um, once dad made it, you know, when I was around 10, we got really, really rich and dad really made it. And we had a big house in the hill, in the Palisades and a big ranch in Brentwood we moved to then and, a, and an actual ranch in Malibu and German vehicles in the driveway all the time. And I got whatever I wanted. Um, yeah, I had a very nice upper middle class lifestyle, you know, so I was we were living the American dream. My dad was grew up working class, you know, single mom and, you know, in the Irish Harlem. Um, and yet, uh, so I, you know, and I lived a privileged life in LA with these bottom line foundational values of, you know, help, help the poor help, you know, always fight for the underdog, always fight for the underclass. Um, and never forget where you came from. And, and yet I definitely know that a part of me bought into it and went to sleep, 
you know, I mean, so I had this kind of dual thinking going on. And there was a part of me was like, you know, I'd really like the revolution to happen. But um, can I still have my Mercedes wagon? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's interesting. I don't know how this revolution is going to happen, because something's going to happen in this country. And it, it cannot go on much longer like this. Right. And, and I don't know if I'll get to keep my Mercedes wagon or not. But, um, <laughs> but if the, you know, if the price of gas keeps going up, I probably won't. I see. I'm a capitalist. Oh well, so am I. Absolutely, I believe in the basics. And there's a great book by Howard Bloom called "Genius of the Beast," and the beast is capitalism. And he talks about the genius that that no matter what, as the evolutionary impulse is about forward progress, and it is always about exchange of energy, services, and goods. That's what capitalism is. People, it's this greedy accumulation um, uh, obsession with money. Um, that and scares me. Where and where everything can be monetized, everything, including our school system. Yes, yes. Th that that money now has insinuated itself into every aspect of our life because they're too lazy to invent something new. <laughs> they see a, the the it's Wall true. Street and the hedge fund managers are looking at a trillion dollar a year industry of education. So they create a crisis because they want in on it. They create yep. a social security crisis because they see a trillion dollars. It's like the prison systems. They did that too. They, they yep. Instead of inventing something like the internet, right? And, and they have all this money that they want to invest in. Yep. And they're not creative. This yeah. is Wall Street. They're not creative. No. No. So they look for where is their money? How can I get it? That's what how Wall Street thinks. Yeah. And Wall Street is. Something, I don't have the statistics, but I think it's now three quarters of our economy. Yeah. The financial sector is the largest sector yeah. of our economy. So there's nothing, they're not making anything. No, exactly. And the, the whole, um, so in other words, we, I'm for capitalism. Yes. This isn't capitalism. Right. I, I want, I want to have a business. That makes money. Right. That provides health care for people. If I could grow my radio show and podcast. Right. Instead of going out of pocket, if I could do it and run a small little business. Yep. And in Hollywood, they always say to me, when I, it, uh, five years ago, I was starting some internet thing with television and I was told, well, this is how it works. Literally, we'll go get some investors up in Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You'll build this dummy corporation <laughs> with your name on it and then we'll sell it for. Yes. And I go, but I, but I want to, I literally right. said, I, but I want to run a business for like 50 years, like yeah. a magazine. No, no, no. That's not how it's done. Yeah. You have to create something that looks like it could make money and then you sell it. Well, and this is, you know, interesting thing here is, you know, Steve Jobs died last night. Here's a man who made things. Okay. And there's a, I get that there's a lot of wrong things like the, the Foxconn and the factories in China. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. I, I get it. And I've been educating myself about some of this stuff, but, at the same time, here's a man who had a vision, who uh, <laughs> who made things, and not only made things, but made things that made the rest of the world more productive and more uh, inspired for other people to make things. And uh, it's it's so you but know there was mythologizing with oh there there Steve Jobs of course there was and, and yet though there's um. Uh, talk about the entrepreneurial spirit 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur means someone has an idea about something and is going to forge their own path in order to make this thing manifest itself. But, you know, Apple, he was a visionary, but like Bill Gates, he was, Bill Gates is not a visionary, but Apple has bought out other companies. Oh, absolutely. No, words, I, there's, seen, there's, there's, there's software that uh, they go, oh, we like this. I want that. We're uh, buying it. Absolutely. There's, 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 they they live within the scheme yes. <laughs> of the corporatocracy that exists absolutely and they've taken advantage of that absolutely and and you know and that's the thing about you know the world right now it's like having to make that choice every day about how much do i buy into the system how much do i question my own, you know, security versus prosperity, you know, and values versus prosperity. You know, it's, it's, it's always that fine line and, and thinking, well, he's doing it and he's making all this cash. So why shouldn't I be doing it? And because there doesn't feel like there's an alternative to that system. Right. It's the only game. It's the only game. And if you're not making money, it's not, you're a putz. Not only are you a putz, (laughs) You're gonna die. Yeah, you're gonna lit. Now it's you're, it's you're literally gonna die because you. It's look, think about what this country does to its workers. The the primary source of healthcare in this country is through your employer. Yeah. So if you're working for me, Kelly Carlin. Yeah. You're gonna open up a mouth to me. Uh, if, if absolutely, I, I'll kill you. I'll fire you, <laughs> and you'll die. You will. <laughs> you know, fifty-five thousand Americans die each year just because they don't because they don't have health insurance. Jesus. Well, it's you know, I, I have this other theory about you know more people do need to die. So I <laughs> <laughs> that's where my dad's thinking comes in. I was just uh, I have his computer and I go through his files Is every once in a while. No, no, it's my computer, but I have his his files on my computer, and every once in a while I go through it and I'll read some of his stuff and I'll think, oh, that's so dark and yet so true. Because he was saying, you know, I mean, you know, before 9-11, he was going to name his next HBO special. I kind of like it when a whole bunch of people die. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened and the HBO came to him and went, uh, George, you're going to need to change the title of that show. Now, let me ask you, uh, this is none of my business, but I'm just curious. His computer should be at the Smithsonian. Yeah, well, right now it's uh, in probate. <laughs> okay. But yes, uh, someday I, I, I have, I actually have pictured the Smithsonian um, exhibit. And the Smithsonian exhibit is basically, uh, my dad kept all of his, he used to, well, he kept it on a computer, but I have a couple of actual physical files of his too, where he would, he'd have little pieces of paper that he wrote down everything on. And then he would tear them all up and he'd put them in the appropriate files, actual files. And then you would see, you could see that if you kind of back engineered one of his bits that they went to, you could see how all of these piece of papers started out as just these pieces of papers and then he started coalescing and editing and bringing them all into the bit you know like advertising lullaby would be a great example of that to do that on a wall Mm -hmm. or interactive or some kind with people i think it'd be really really cool he's lucky he didn't have a son well he i think he felt that way he didn't have a dad so i don't my mom used to say thank god you were a girl because i don't know if yeah. he would have known how to be a dad to a dad a boy but i don't get any sense the thing i love about you many things i love about you is that you are very gracious and generous about your dad and i think had he had a son there's that i don't want to say edible but that 
competitive, that blocking of well, you know, that, I mean, but my dad and I had that too on some level. Um, but, um, well, let me change the subject. You know, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's just being a kid, you, you know, you're, I mean, I, you know, I have aspirations of my own, and I had to kind of tiptoe around them a little bit around him. But I, I this is sexist, but I, I do think that women are inferior and should be rounded up and placed in internment. No, no, that would was, be fun. No. That would actually we then we could take over but the world take, properly. No. I, I do think that I don't know if that slipped out. I didn't want to say it's, that. It's okay. Uh, this sounds sexist, but uh, that I feel like a a, a daughter doesn't live in the shadow of the father as much as a son. It's does. a different shadow. Yeah. It, absolutely. But what happens is, is the daughter becomes the father's daughter in a way, which is a whole nother kind of psychiatric thing um, where you identify more with the father, especially if your father's very successful, like I did than the mother. And so you have to kind of relearn how to be a woman in some ways and how to appreciate your own, uh, the power of, of, of femininity. And I'm not talking about femininity, like I wear pink, but the power of the feminine and that there are different things that women bring to the table than men bring. And um, and I think that's kind of like what, why I do storytelling. Because in storytelling, I can bring a lot more of my heart and my soul to my to my work on stage than just the, the mind, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think as a woman, that is what I'm here to do, is to uh, light people's hearts up, not just their minds. Right. I also think, this is kind of off the subject, but I think one, I think one of the... Pro- one of the difficulties of being the child of some George Carlin is you're holding in all human interactions, especially as a kid, you're carrying a royal flush mm. in the poker game of life. Right. And it's you and so in a conversation you know you're holding on to these five cards. Yes. That you can drop on the table anytime you feel necessary. Right. And it's going to just change the entire discussion. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And I, that is very. You have to learn how to play them well, those cards. Yeah. And, I, I, and I'm amazed <laughs> at the, the way you do it because I, we all know children of celebrities and it's not. I would suspect if you did a study, it doesn't all, I no. would say a majority doesn't of work them out well. doesn't work out well because no. they're holding on to that royal flush and they don't know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's know, not them. They're holding cards that have nothing to do with them. But you've done a great job, I think, of kind of, well, it, it's, it is who you are. It, it is. And, and I had to, you know, I, I spent some years away from it all too you know, to really find out who I was and away from the business. And, um, and you have your own, you've got the psychology. I have, I got my master's in psychology and I was a therapist for a few years and, but, you know, ultimately knew that's, I was a performer, you know, I want to be a performer. I love being on stage with people. Um, but when my dad died, it became very clear to me that I was the now receiver of the love. Right. And that that's a really important role to -hmm. play. And that it has, not just for you, but for the people no, who need it. No, it has to nothing give to it. do with me. It has well, to do with yeah. It is has to do with everyone, mostly with the people who want to give it, because right. it's important that it has somewhere to land, somewhere genuine to land, right. and uh, because it's real. And uh, you know, my wife said something very interesting. We were driving home from your party, and she said, "You know, there is a lot of good and bad that comes from being." 
the daughter of somebody like George Carlin. It has, it's equally good and equally difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that if your dad knew that you were the receiver of this love, Mm -hmm. uh, that would make him that he, that would whatever regrets that he, Mm -hmm. we all have regrets as Mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. My regret is that I had children. So whatever (laughs) regrets you have as, as uh, that, that it would, your ability to receive the love, both as a, uh, as your own person, as your own man. (laughs) Cause I, and as, as his, Separately, also as a daughter, right. I think it erases whatever regrets. I always say with stand-up, this, my thing with stand-up when I was starting out, once a month, something would happen in stand-up that would keep me doing it. Mm. It would always be one thing. So it would be 29 days mm. of just, what am I doing? I'm a failure. Yes, never, yes, yes. And then, then the, especially up in San Francisco. Then you know, the revelation would come. You know, Robin Williams would come in and see me and right. hey, that was really funny. And they go, Oh, that's good for another month. Yeah. You know, that, or they'd ask you to do, uh, comedy day or something. And th- so, uh, I think your ability to in, it, be the receiver of all this love for your dad, as well as for who you are. But I think, I think that would make him, uh, would wash away whatever in, in my if uh, I can't speak for your dad, but I, for, for my uh, the twenty nine bad days, I'm not making any sense. <laughs> you Let's are. talk about occupation. No, uh, we have to go now. No, I know we've been on an hour and we didn't even get to last comic standing. <laughs> You'll have to come on again, David. This is really but really there, fabulous. I, I, just, I wanted to ask you one quick question. No, we can't. We have to. Oh, uh, no. Sorry, we don't have enough time. Sorry, because we're going to play a song at the end. Do, one, 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 okay, one quick question. Okay, right, fine. This Jesus is the problem Obama Christ. faces. You're a psychologist. I am, yes. Okay, when you put a rat in a maze. Yes. And the cheese is very far away. Yes. And there's a, a, a slight whiff of the cheese. Right. And he can't get to it. He's okay with that. But when you put a rat, when you put the cheese in the maze and, and the rat can smell the cheese, mm-hmm. the rat the rat's tolerance of frustration changes. He becomes much more aggressive. Right. Do you think the fact that we, that Obama's the cheese that the, that the, mm. that we smell, mm. we smelled the cheese in Grant Park on election day and we're angrier now than we would been, have been if McCain had been elected? Wow. It's a great question. Well, I mean, isn't that what's going on? I think so. Yeah. It's, I think that's a great, I'm going to need to meditate on that. I'm going to have to come on your show, David, probably next week so we can talk about this. And my show is called Don't Smell the Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) That's the name of my show. All right, guys. uh, This has been really fun. Uh, This has been amazing. David, you're just an amazing mind. I love love having conversations with you. You're just so brilliant. Uh, You can find David at davidfeldman.com. You can find him on... David Feldman Comedy. David... Oh, that's right, because it's like some other guy who's like a David Feldman. A philatelist. A philatelist. Seriously. (laughs) That's right. He is 
philatelist. Stamp collector. Yes. I don't know why it's called philatelist. It's very strange. Because you're licking the stamp. Oh, it's like fellatio. It is. Okay. See, is it? I don't know. All explained to me. Uh, you can also find David on Twitter um, as well and Facebook. I, follow, you need to tweet more, David, because you're really sick and twisted, and I need to see more of that on Twitter. Um, you can, of course, um, find us here. Uh, download this podcast, please, at Stitcher or iTunes, um, because I'm a greedy Wall Street pig, and I need more fucking downloads, man, because... I do. Um, you can always find me on Twitter, Kelly underscore Carlin. Come join me on Twitter. I have a great time there. We'll play hashtag games. Yes. Find me on Facebook. Yes. I know. I'm a hashtag. I whore. love those. Thank you. Um, and also, I want to thank uh, Matt Cohen here for being the great producer who found the right plug, but it was in the middle of the show. We'll have it for next week. It'll be great. Um, of course, if you want to, um, if you have any music that you want me to play, royalty-free music, you can uh, send it to me at wfadradio at gmail.com or just send me an email telling me how much you love me. <laughs> I'll receive it. Um, <laughs> we're going to close the show. How much time we have? We've got five minutes. And we're going to close the show with a great song called Shake That Thing by Tin Pan Band. Um, and then if we have time, we're going to, uh, the second song will be uh, something a little, um, a nice little thing my dad does, which you guys have heard here on the show. I think that's it. Um, go downtown to your cities and occupy the parks. Uh, you're part of the 99 percenters, people. I love you all, and we'll see you next week.
you got to shake that thing. Shorty, 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 baby Do that little, little trucking, baby Yeah, like how you're trucking, baby Give me some of that trucking, baby Everything is okay anyway Everything is okay anyway Well, if the sun comes out each day Everything must be okay Yes, everything is okay anyway. If all we ever had was total war, and peace and love and giving were a bore, what if we cried and died all day? You could still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, and tidal waves, and man is forced to live again in caves. But if all we had was fire, you'd still hear the caveman choir. Singing, everything is okay anyway. Yes, everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if kids come out to play, everything must be okay. Yeah, everything is okay anyway. If no one was allowed to jump or run. If no one was permitted to have fun. And if it rained hard every day, you still hear someone say that everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Everything is okay anyway. Well, if you do not miss your pay, if you hear what I will say, you will know that on this day I have seen a little ray of... This has been a production of Smodcast Internet Radio.